If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35 will begin in verse 1. God oftentimes mercifully shocks us from the staleness and the sinfulness of our relationship with Him. And He may even use our own sinfulness and shortcomings to do that. He loves us so much that He will allow us to hurt in order to turn back to Him. Now, God can and does allow evil. He can and does allow tragedy. He can and does allow sickness. He can and does allow the sinfulness of others to affect our lives in order to get our attention. Now, He is not the author of those things because He's merciful and loving. But because He is merciful and loving, He allows those things for a greater purpose. What we're going to discover today as we look in Genesis 35 with the second of our sermons in this series, Revive Us Again, is that God allows tragedy to get our attention. If you read just the first verse of Genesis 35, verse 1, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Now, if you read that verse alone, you say, okay, God's given him a command to go to this place you're not at right now. Well, we'll find out where he's at right now when God's talking to him as we go back. But let's rewind a minute by means of introduction. You're in Genesis 35. Would you turn back to Genesis 28 with me? Genesis 28, either turning in your paper Bible, can't say real Bible because the other Bible is real as well or your electronic copy of God's Word, Genesis 28, verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out to Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped in the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He's a tough dude. He uses a stone for a pillow. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, which is top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending. And there above it stood the Lord, that's the Lord, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord God. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and Jacob. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He was laying in a place called Bethel. And God appeared to him in a dream and said, because of my promise to Abraham and Isaac, your grandfather and father, I'm going to carry that promise through you, Jacob. And on this place where you are lying, Bethel, I will give you this land. Jacob, however, didn't go straight to that land. If you look in verse or chapter 29, he settled in a different place, Paddan Aram. Turn ahead to Genesis 34. Jacob has few wives, has a handful of children, has been reunited with his brother, of whom there had been some dissent. That's an understatement. And in verse 34, he's now living in a place called Shechem. Now, 
Note that there is both a person called Shechem in this story and a place called Shechem. And so let's not confuse the two. But also note that he's not yet in Bethel, the place where God said he was going to bless his family. And if I were to tell you the timeline, would you like to guess that it was 30 years? 30 years since Genesis 28, when God told him, this is the place I'm going to give you. This is the place your family will live and be blessed. 30 years Jacob had done all sorts of other things, some of them quite necessary, needed to get some wives and things like that, but he had not returned yet to the place that God had promised him. And so he's living literally just up the road, 30 miles away, in the place called Shechem, a day and a half's walk, maybe two days, you know, with all your uh, family and your herds and everything. And listen to what it says in Genesis 34, verse 1, now Dinah... That's one of his daughters. The daughter Leah had born to Jacob went out to visit the women of the land. So they're of a different tribe, but she's just maybe going out to be friendly. Meet some of the neighbors, right? When Shechem, the person, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and violated her. He raped her. I don't know why it doesn't say that. And the next lines give some indication, but it doesn't match up what I think is proper. Look at verse 3. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Um, The two things don't go together in my book. I don't know about you. You don't do a violent act if you love her and you want to speak tenderly to her. So I believe it's an excuse or, you know, it was a lustful sort of love. But one way or the other, just absolutely despicable and horrible. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. Now, there's all sorts of problems going on here in this passage, and I'll fast forward. So Hamor comes and says to Jacob, hey, Jacob, my son wants to marry your daughter. Let's just forget about that nasty part that happens there. He loves her. And Jacob's, "Mm, I don't know about this. But then Jacob's sons, Levi and Simeon, they're filled with disgust and hatred of the the man who had violated their sister. And they said, hey, dad. Tell them if they get circumcised like us, because, you know, God's people had the sign of circumcision, a physical sign on their body of the circumcision of their heart and their devotion to God. Tell them if all the males in this tribe get circumcised, then he can marry our sister. That wasn't really their plan. If you read on in Genesis 34, you see on the third day after the men had been circumcised, they're still laying around in pain, Levi and Simeon, went and slaughtered every man in that village, took all of their possessions and all of their wives as their own in plunder. I'm reading this story and I'm going, wait, I've read this before, but when you think about it, this is just absolutely brutal and unbelievable. And so this is Genesis 34, right? This is the tragedy Genesis 28 was the promise. I'm going to give you this place. Your family's going to grow great in this place. But Genesis 34 is the tragedy. One young lady gets raped and then her whole village gets murdered and every one of her people is plundered and carried off into captivity because of that. How terrible. you got a promise on one hand, you got a tragedy on the other hand, and you got 30 years of, dare we say, disobedience in the meantime, or at least delay and getting to where God has us to. We've got our scripture memory verse of the month. We'll give Chris a second to put that up there. Psalm 
Psalm 85, 4. And let's read that together with the reference first. Then we'll say the verse in reference again. Psalm 85, 4. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Psalm 85, 4. Now you're back to Genesis 35 with me. Would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word as we read verses 1 through 15, having tried to properly set the stage for both the promise and the tragedy that leads us to this passage. Verse 1 again, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau 30 years ago. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of your foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. So the place called Shechem, not the person. Verse 5, then they set out. And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it is the place that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Verse 8, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel and it was named Alon Bakuth. Verse 9. After Jacob returned to Pad- from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in a place where he had talked to him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where, he had talked, where God had talked to him and poured out a drink offering on it. And poured oil on it. Jacob then called the place where God had talked with him. Bethel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. As we travel back in time. Millennium. With this story today. We recognize that because you are sovereign. Your truth is timeless. And even though we may have no tragedy of such magnitude in our life. There's a message you have for each and every one of us. And we pray that you speak to us, that we'd be humble and broken, and that you'd be able to work your miraculous, gracious work of revival in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. You've got a your first line on the point of your outline or on the top of your outline is really a summary that Shechem surrenders precede Bethel blessings. Now we'll come back to this and we'll see it multiple times as we walk through for um, uh, our sermon this morning that Shechem surrenders precede Bethel blessings. What did you hear happening in the passage of Scripture? God called them back 
But they had foreign gods in their life, false gods with a little g, and they needed to surrender those things, and they did so at the oak of Shechem. And they buried them there. It says later in Scripture that they were dug up and burned up. Burned up not to be melted and recast, but burned up completely. That Shechem surrenders precede Bethel blessings. And so it leads me to ask you, and leads me to ask me, what is the Bethel the blessing that you need in your life? What could be the Bethel that God desires to give to you that you can't even imagine? But you know God's got something for you beyond what's going on in your life right now. And then, since the Shechem surrender comes first, where's the Shechem that needs to happen? Where is the place What is the surrender that God is waiting for you to do to demonstrate to Him that you are fully devoted in worship to Him in order that you might move from tragedy or meh to blessing? God has a plan for us that exceeds anything we could ask or imagine in who He desires us to be in walking with Jesus. But there's some things He needs to do in us first. And the one word for that is revival. The first point on your outline in explanation of the scripture, verses 1 through 4, is that God meets those who are pure before him. God meets those who are pure before him. Going back to verse 1, it says, God said. Friends, every one of us has a copy of God's word. Many of us have more than one good old-fashioned paper copy of God's word. And you have it available to you electronically as well, where God says, God said to Jacob, go up, settle there, build an altar. So God gave him these commands. This is what you're supposed to do that you have not done yet. Buddy, I told you 30 years ago, this was the place you were supposed to be and you haven't gotten here yet. It's time. It's time to stop messing around. It's time to stop living down the road. It's time to get to the place where I told you I will bless you and your family if you obey me and settle there. God doesn't say, what are you thinking? God demonstrates His grace, His gentleness, even herein. The second verse. So Jacob responds, he says to his household and to all who are with him, remember all the people from a foreign tribe that they just plundered, get rid of your foreign gods that you have and purify yourselves and then even change your clothes. So Jacob gives them three commands. Get rid of every foreign god, purify yourselves, ritual cleansing. It's a physical thing that symbolizes, it's an outward thing that symbolizes you know, an inward cleansing. And purify yourselves and change your clothes. Even the clothes you're wearing should be different than those that you send in. Not unlike the way that we dress up maybe for Sunday morning for some of us as our habit. Now, we might be thinking, I don't have any foreign gods. I don't have any little idols in my house that I bow down and worship and pray to. Really? Really? What hobbies do you have that control your time? What desires do you have? Power, control, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, anxiety, 
depression, these things that, although they may not be named Asherah, Molech, or Baal, are all little g-gods that somehow we worship. Dr. Bruce Waltke says that repentance entails renouncing whatever hinders or tarnishes worship of God. Anything that hinders or tarnishes worship of God is, must be renounced, and that is repentance. Write down Colossians 3, verse 8, 9, and 10. Colossians 3, 8 through 10. It says, but now you must rid yourself of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. We're to rid ourselves of all those things. Notice that holiness in light of God is never satisfied with just one aspect of our life. Have you ever thought about the fact that the word holiness and the word wholeness come from the same English root and the same Latin root? That they're unified, that our entire body must seek to be revived. Our entire spirit must seek to be revived. We can't keep one closet hidden back here. One little area of our life we don't give God control of. Go on to verse 3. Then come up and go to Bethel, where I, will build an, uh, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress. It's Jacob talking to them. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their rings and their ears, and they buried him under the oak there at Shechem. Your first question there, ask, how did they prepare to worship God? They got rid of everything that hindered their worship from God. Your second question asks, more personally, what are the idols I must surrender? In your life, in my life, what hinders, tarnishes, distracts, prevents my worship of God, my wholehearted worship of God? That's what I've got to surrender. And all of us have something in our mind. All of us have something in our life right now. And that's between you and the Holy Spirit. So your question then becomes, do you have an oak of Shechem? Do you have a place where you know you're going to bury that stuff that, surrender, that is between you and God? The place that you'll surrender, that you'll get rid of your idols Maybe it's at this altar. Maybe it's right where you sit in your pew. Maybe there is a place you need to go. Maybe it's in your prayer closet at home. And you're like, this is going to be the place where I'm going to get rid of all this. So God meets those who are pure before him. The second major point on your outline, verses 5 through 8, is that God protects those who are devoted to him. God protects those who are devoted to him. Now, we miss this part, but we shouldn't, okay? Okay. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. So basically, different tribes, different peoples are living in this area, right? And I told you, they got to go just 30 miles, but you know, here's a village that's a different sort of tribe, different people, and they're passing another village and passing through their area. And what was common practice back in those days, if somebody passed through your area... You took some toll, you know. You'd come out with your warriors and be like, hey, if you're passing through our land, uh, give us that or give us that. Or I mean, 
nasty, terrible things could happen. So they kind of had a truce where they were living. But when you move from one place to the other, you could be in danger. The interesting thing about this story is previously in the story of Jacob, anytime he went somewhere, he was fearful of what the other people would do to him. But now that he said, I'm devoting myself to God, I'm finally going to the place of blessing. God has put fear into all the people that Jacob once feared. A total reorientation of what's going on here. Verse 6, so Jacob and all the people with him came to lose, that is Bethel. So they got there, finally, in the land of Canaan, and he built an altar in the place El Bethel, so mean, literally mean God, house of God, and because that's where God had spoken to him way back when he made the promise 30 years ago in Genesis 28. So our questions is when did God protect them? When did God protect them? God obviously had provided a place for them living there in Shechem, even though that didn't work out too well for them. But God protected them when they were obedient to Him, right? When they were at least on the way to the place that He had promised them. Remember our theme verse, for revival in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 7.14, or 2 Chronicles 7.14, excuse me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that means doing what God wants, obeying Him, getting rid of our idols, whatever it may be, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Sometimes that turning is turning away from a place that we're living, turning away from a lifestyle that we're leading to Turn to where God intends us to be, where God wants to bless us, where God has commanded us to go, and who God has commanded us to become. He says, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So your application question there was, when did God protect them? Well, God protected them when they obeyed. The second one is, when should I obey God? I'm not going to ask by a show of hands, but of any of us here, you know, God clearly revealed something to us 30 years ago and we haven't done it yet. Some of you are older than 30. Maybe you've got, you know, 40 years since you know God said something. 50 years. I don't know. Some of us aren't that old, but I guarantee you all of us have had at least one point in our life, if not dozens or hundreds, thousands, where we know we've disobeyed God. But my question for you today is, what is it right now that the Holy Spirit is saying to you? You need to obey today. So, we see something here. Jacob builds an altar, and he's going to offer sacrifice there. There are two hallmarks of revival. One is the place of revival, or the place of sacrifice, and the other is the revelation of God. So, Two hallmarks of revival is it happens in a place. And it could be a spiritual place that we've decided this is it, but it's also a physical place where God comes and visits with His Spirit. But the second is that there is the revelation of God, that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through His Word, through a preacher, directly to you through prayer, through Scripture. One way or the other, God reveals Himself to you, the believer in Jesus, in a fresh way when you've sought to obey Him. In a new way. The altar is our humble confession of sin. 
and our brokenness before God. The Word of God is God's revelation, His command. And He brings revival through that. So we saw first that God protects those who are pure before Him. Second, that God, or that God meets those who are pure before Him. Second, that God protects those who are devoted. Let's say to our third point. The third point is that God changes those who are blessed by Him. God changes those who are blessed by Him. Now, you might be saying, I don't want to change my life. All right. Maybe it's not your life. Maybe it's not your address. Maybe it's not your job God wants to change. Maybe it's you within your life, your address and your job. So after Jacob had returned, God appeared to him again. And he said, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Now, this happened before at the end of chapter 28. We didn't read that part for sake of time. So he'd already told him, dude, I'm changing your name from Jacob. I like a nickname. Or maybe he kind of kept it between him and God. But one way or the other, he wasn't known as that yet. So God had said to him at the time of the promise, 30 years before, this is going to be your name when you get to the place of blessing. But since he wasn't yet at the place of blessing for 30 years later, God didn't call him by that name. Other people didn't necessarily call him by that name. And it wasn't until here when he was actually where he was obeying God. And he had gotten rid of all the false gods and all the idols and led all his family and everybody with them to do the same thing. That here, God says to him, your name's going to be changed. In the Old Testament, a name means character. A name means personhood. The same is true for us today. We talk about having a good name. It doesn't mean that, you know, the name Nora is more pleasant than the name Ariel. Having a good name means that you have character that is becoming of that name. Character of becoming a person that represents God. We talked about two hallmarks of revival. Now there are two results of revival. The first result of revival is that there is new freedom from sin. And the second result of revival is that we experience a reorientation or a change of who we are. That our character is changed within us because we've rid ourselves of the idolatry and sin that have weighed us down and kept us over here in the place where we're in control. Because we've said, I'm getting rid of all the stuff that is sinful and disobedient and I am going to the place where God has called me. And I'm going humbly before you, God. And when we come to this place, God can speak to us and change who we are. The first question there and your third point is why did God change Jacob's name? I think God changed Jacob's name because he wanted Jacob to know, I'm changing your character. And there's this one side of you, Jacob, that always tries to do it yourself that always wants to be in control. And from the very beginning, the name Jacob means supplanter. He was born a twin, and he came out holding on to the heel of his older brother, who was born first, if only by seconds. And that character of the man Jacob, who was always trying to deceive others and do things his own way, because he didn't fully trust God. Even though God had said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take care of you, he was always doing it himself. Jacob sounds a lot like an American, doesn't he? I'm going to do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. Jacob sounds a lot like a sinful, selfish believer in Jesus. That we know all the promises of the Bible, yet we think, ah, I'm going to do it myself because we really don't trust God. Your second question there is, what has God changed about me? 
in your life to this point in time as a believer in Jesus? What has he already changed about you? We saw wonderfully pictured today with two young men. And you heard it in both of their testimonies. Because Ryan Cole, when he shoots the video, asks a few simple questions. What was your life like before you came to faith in Christ? How did you know you needed to come to faith in Christ? And how is your life different since you came to faith in Christ? And you heard each of them in their childlike way mention what had troubled them before that wasn't as troubling before or now. Cameron mentioning fears. Charlie, I think, talking about he had sinned a lot before, but, you know, that was different now. And he knows there's a difference, and there should be a difference in you and I as well, that we should be able to say, this is what God has changed about me. Maybe you've been changed, but you've wandered back a little bit. We have to ask a couple questions. You've got one more time on your outline, that statement that Shechem surrenders, proceed Bethel blessings. The bottom line here is, friends, we cannot worship God as we please. We cannot worship God as we please. Because if we are truly worshiping Him, and He is God, and we are not, then we must obey as He commands. Period. We cannot worship God as, he please, as we please. And He allows evil. He allows tragedy. He allows sinfulness. He allows consequences of our own sinfulness into our lives in order to shock us from where we're at, in order to get our attention because He is exceedingly loving and merciful and gracious. Think about the tragedy that happened in Genesis 34 with the rape of Dinah and the murder of an entire village as revenge that led them to say, dude, we finally got to get over here 30 miles away to the place God had told us to go 30 years ago. What's God done in your life? What circumstance? What tragedy? What painful event? And your question there is, what do I need to surrender in order to be blessed? What do I need to surrender in order to be blessed? What will it take for God to change me? What idols should I lay down? What do I need to obey that God has revealed and I know that I've resisted maybe for three decades? One thing is certain, friends. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. And because of that, he extends to us a message like the one we see today through the life of Jacob, that no matter how you've disobeyed, no matter how long you've disobeyed, that if you will take the steps of surrender and surrendering all your idols, all your stuff, at whatever your oak of Shechem may be. And if you will take that step and turn toward God and move towards Bethel that He has called to you, that place of blessing, that place of promise, that place of obedience, then God will do things in your life that you can't imagine. Let's pray. God, our Father, we're burdened by this message today. 
as we consider who you are. Consider who we are. Consider your promise and your blessing. And we hold up in comparison to that. Our disobedience and our sinfulness. God, we confess we need revival. But we know revival only happens when we confess our sin. So whatever that is, Father, in each and every one of us, would we lay that down right now? May this sanctuary be the oak of Shechem for each of us. May we surrender in order that you may bless our lives. So, Father, thank you for your presence among us today. We pray, Father, if there's any person here who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would make that decision today. If there's anyone with questions or concerns, they'd let me or someone know and we can talk. And all of us that need to confess something, whether standing where we're at or filling this altar or talking to a brother or sister in Christ, that we would do that right now as we stand and sing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.